0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Dr. Alan Hamilton, is a Harvard-trained brain surgeon, regents professor of surgery at the University of Arizona, a lifelong horse trainer, and author of a number of books, including Zen Mind, Zen Horse. His newest book, Cerebral Entanglements, How the Brain Gives Value and Meaning to Our Private Lives, is due to be released in the spring of 24. His essay, The Enlightenment Lab, 8 Zen Lessons from Horses, appears in the July-August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to the Spirituality and Health podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Ravi Rami.
0: I am really interested in talking with you. I specifically mentioned your book, Zen Mind, Zen Horse, because I've given copies of the book away to people who have an (laughs) affinity for horses, but none for spirituality, at least none they know of. So I thought of your book as sort of like a gateway to a world that maybe they know exists, but didn't know how, to, you know how to access it. So I really appreciate that book. And I thought we'd start there because you ask a question in Zen Mind, Zen Horse, that I'd love to get your take on. I mean, it's your question. I'd like to hear your answer, even though the book itself is the answer. But, you know, in, a, in an elevator speech, what it is. So here's, here's the question. I'm just going to read the question back to you. So in Zen Mind, Zen Horse, you write, it's human nature to want to improve ourselves physically, financially, emotionally. And as we age and mature, our efforts seem to focus naturally on spiritual growth as well. But that requires new insights and skills we must learn and practice. We need to build up karmic muscle to turn the breakdowns in our lives into breakthroughs. We must turn into warriors who take up the discipline of spiritual pursuit in earnest. But how? That's from Zen Mind Zen Horse. So the question is, but how? The book is a book-length answer to the question, but how? But if you had to give me a 30-second elevator speech, what's the answer to, but how?
1: I would, I'd say the, the elevator speech is a warrior is always trying to conquer him or herself. And the, the horse is a wonderful way to bring out that confrontation, to give you a field of battle or a context or a framework in which you can look at yourself in a different light, look at yourself through the eyes of a a prey animal, a partner, and see yourself very differently. And I think that arms you with perspective, but it also arms you with the wisdom of that, that equine partner, which is substantial.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a really interesting answer. And it, it really makes me think about something you wrote in the uh, essay in in Spirituality Health Magazine, The Eight Lessons. In the third lesson, it's called Attachment Leads to Sorrow. You write about sort of how to, you know, you, you're talking here about controlling the horse, and this is, this is how he understood it. I know nothing about horses. But as I understood the essay, or spe- specifically the third lesson, it seems like the more you try to assert control over the horse, the more the horse resists your efforts. The way you control a horse, I, I guess, is to get the horse to want to please you And in a sense, the horse gets the 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 horse in pleasing you. Ultimately, pleases him or herself. Is am I sort of on
1: the right path there? You're sort of on the right path. I think the 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 problem is that we're predators, so we're always after things. You know, so so if you're training a dog, you can say, you know, I can get the dog to jump over a bigger jump if I say, "Here, boy! Here's a hot dog! Here's a hot dog! Come on, jump!" I, I get that because the two of us relate to each other as predators. But if you hold out a carrot for a horse and say, here's a bigger carrot, now jump over that jump, it's not going to happen. And the reason is the horse is motivated by tranquility, by peace. And so it's, it's looking for where's the energy the calmest. And when you come at a horse with an agenda, you bring all of that energy and attachment of wanting. And the horse goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not with me. You're out to get something from me. And then the, the horse starts to get confused. So the, the whole way of approaching the horse is to let go, let go and say, I'm only here for you and me and the partnership we can create. And I'm not going to ask anything of you that you're not willing to give. So that's my, that's my promise. And we'll start with that premise. And as soon as you do that and let go, the horse immediately calms down. You can feel it in your body. The horse feels it in their body. And you start at a very different place of, I'm not interested in the goal. I'm just interested in us. I don't care where we go. And it's not like... I'm going to be a different person if you get over that jump or you don't get over that jump or you run faster or you don't run faster. I'm only in it for this relationship and the trust between us, and I won't break that trust.
0: So you're talking about a relationship with the horse that isn't you know, competitive. I mean, because we do, in certain settings, we do force the horse to do things that— uh, probably the horse doesn't want to do. I mean, I'm thinking of Tennessee. I live in Tennessee. Tennessee walking Mm -hmm. horses, that does not Mm -hmm. seem like something they want to do.
1: To some extent, they're, they're bred for it. There's genetics that come into where does the horse sort of find its own inner strength sort of thing. But you're right. The best racehorse is the racehorse that wants to outrun all the other horses not the one that you just beat hard enough that, you know, horses that, that are naturally competitive. And if you can find that horse and you can bring that energy of that horse's desire to jump or to run or to maneuver, to race, whatever you have, you can bring that energy to the game. You're going to win. You're going to win, but you're going to win as a partnership, not because you're extracting that, you know, something out of that horse that it doesn't want to give because it'll, it'll never perform. At the same level as when it's saying, "This is what I was born to do. This is what I want to do. This is what we're you're letting me do with you." And so, I I, th- I think you're right. You can force a horse. You can force a horse to do a lot of things, but you will never have a willing partner, and the horse will always be looking for how do I bail on you? How do I how do I get out of this?
0: So I get the, the top the title, I guess, of lesson three, attachment leads to sorrow. So it's it's my attachment to a goal that the horse doesn't share that leads to my sorrow because the horse doesn't share my goal and resists. Is that what you had in mind?
1: Exactly. That's a perfect way of summing it up.
0: Okay, so I got I got that right. Cause I was thinking in terms of other leadership settings. Where, you know, I think even in politics, I mean, most politicians are, it seems to me, and this is maybe just my my jaded view of things, most of them are trying to get people to do things that we don't naturally want to do. And they're not doing it by working with us as partners. They're either trying to, well, like in George Orwell's 1984, scare us into doing what they want us to do or in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, you know, drug us into doing what we don't want to do. Either. Con
1: us, con us into it,
0: yeah. Yeah, con us, you know, or, or through bread and circus, that kind of thing, you know, just keep us so high on dopamine or whatever, you know, dopamine mm-hmm. hits that, you know, we just do whatever they want because we're addicted to whatever the, the hit is. How do you translate the kind of I guess you'd call it. I, well, I don't know what you call it. I'm thinking in terms of servant leadership, where I lead, where it's a it's really a partnership. Does it translate into human to human relationship, or does it not work with prey to prey? Uh,
1: I I think I think it does. I think you know, being a warrior is not about fighting. Being a warrior is about having principles of defending those who can't defend themselves, providing for those who can't provide for themselves, of standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, in a way, of being the ultimate partner to say, I am here to be of service. And I think one of the big turnoffs that we have today in politics is we don't have people that we trust. You know, one of one of my friends said to me once the best thing that could ever happen to you in life is to find a leader whom you're willing to lay your sword at their feet. And, you know, I, I have to say, I've only found that once in my life, but it was a joy to to have a leader who I could trust and I could trust with, I, I, I biffed up, here's my mistake, or I need your help with this, or, you know, I could have those kinds of very candid conversations. But I think, because I always felt that that leader was listening to me to be of service to me, that, that, that he felt the best I can do is if I can further your career and your needs and your desires, I further my own agenda. And so I think that the frustration that all of us are feeling with the political system is so often we look at it and we go, most of us can agree on what we would want out of the political system. I mean, uh, we were talking before we started that I live out here in Tucson where it's 115 degrees and we're very worried about wildfires right now, et cetera. And, And so, you know, I haven't met anybody across the political spectrum who isn't going, we need to get this global warming under control. We can't live like this. Our grandkids won't be able to live like this. And yet we can't get our politicians to agree on that agenda at all even though most of us i would think the vast majority of us we'd buy into 80% of the agenda together and so i think you you know what you're saying is when you find a leader who's a true partner who leads from being of service rather than taking services that opens you up to incredible possibilities
0: Yeah, I mean, that certainly makes sense. Just as an aside, I'm just curious 115 degrees.
1: What is happening to the horses in Arizona? Right. So when I train horses, I train up to April 1st and then I start in October and I train through April 1st and then I stop because the weather's just too hot. So, yes, I could get away with maybe training a horse on a cool day at four o'clock in the morning, but I'm running a real risk of my horse overheating. And so my horses are on vacation. They're on a long summer break. And we just wait for the weather to clear. And, you know, you have to realize if it's 115 degrees in the ambient air, down at that wash on the sand, and that it, it's it's 130 degrees. And so it's very, very hot. And you run you will just it's you just can't run the risk of exercising your horses in that kind of heat. So how are they being cared for? They are just having a wonderful time in the green pastures and eating grass and sitting under the, okay, shade, of the mes- yeah, shade of the trees. Yeah, the mes- they're still outside in the shade of the they there's shade of the mesquite trees. And of course where there's where we still have green, where we still have pastures, the temperature's ten or fifteen degrees cooler. I mean it's hot here, but it's not like that. We have paved everything in sight. You know, I, I was just looking at a at a Aerial picture of Phoenix and going, you have to really hunt for green spaces. And all of that concrete, all of that asphalt is just radiating heat. There's nothing to cool it at all.
0: Yeah, I, and well, we <laughs> this is not a show on the environment, so we won't go there. But I, I have a lot to say about <laughs> about all that stuff.
1: But I, but I think part of it is also saying I am very tuned into how my horses feel physically, and I'm going to take that into the equation. And so I might say, well, you know what? We can't really exercise today, but that doesn't mean we can't train. That means that I'm going to play with you, and I'm going to interact with you, and I'm going to see how I can use my body energy and my position and my eyes to mold you and move you with me and have you enjoy playing with me. So I can take a horse out in a pasture at Liberty and say, let's play hide and seek around trees. And it's, it sounds like a gimmick, but it's not at all. And so, you know, we're not, we're not running around, but we are, we are training.
0: Well, I, I, it, sound, I mean, it definitely does not sound like a gimmick. I, I think I understand what you're saying. I imagine that things would be much different environmentally if people cared for one another, as much as, as you're talking about caring for horses, you know if they talk about who wants their kids to be in 115 degree heat. I mean, it's just mind blowing. But let's let's go back to the essay.
1: Now, let me. Just, I just want to put something in context, which is we've been predators, okay, and that predation model has worked for us so far but it's now it's starting to fail. And global warming is a perfect example. We're extracting n- more natural resources than the earth can actually provide. And so if you switch gears and you say, well, what, what is, makes a herd different? The answer is they share a common identity. It's very hard for us as predators to understand that hearses, horses sense being together. They want, they're a we, not a me. And when a horse goes out, um, and looks for water or looks for pasture, it doesn't say, I'm going to drink all the water I can or I'm going to eat all the grass I can. It's really looking for where can all of us find peace and, and find water and find pasture and find shade. And it's, it's really the, the, the leader of the herd is the one who has the common good in mind. That's who's allowed to lead, the lead mayor. And the lead mayor will always put herself most at risk if they confront the danger, they will always send the least experienced horses to the back, the most experienced horses to the front, so that they're, they're, they're saying, we're putting ourselves at risk. And when a horse sees you do that as a leader, you win their hearts over. So, so if there's something scary on the trail, or I will always put myself between it and the horse, to say I'm I am going to always put myself between you the danger and you so you know that I have my I have your interest at heart and the horse sees that and it says okay that's a good leader and and that and that's what creates the partnership
0: but as it sounds like what you're saying as a, a as a prey species humans as a prey species that's not in our DNA so, so you know, the, we've brought ourselves to the brink of this extinction that's happening. Can we change that? Which is a, a huge question. But it actually, it seems to me that it links to the first of your eight lessons. Let me let me see what you think of this. The first of the the eight lessons that you list in the in the essay in Spirituality and Health magazine talks about how horses. The, the way you you put it as horses see us first. And the idea is that because I, like this is how I understood it because of the way the horse's eyes are situated in their head versus the way our eyes are situated in our head. The horse sees, I, I, I don't, it can't be 360 degrees, but the horse sees the we as opposed to you and I, where we just see the me, it, it, let, let, me, let me explain what I have in mind. It made me think of, of Albert Einstein. I mean, over half a century ago, Einstein wrote this letter of condolence to a rabbi whose kid had died. It was ultimately published in the New York Times in the 50s. And, and I got a little piece of it here. Einstein wrote, a human being is a part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion. And I want to underline the word optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Just the opposite of what you were saying. Our task, Einstein writes, must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. And then he goes on, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but it seems to me horses have an advantage here that we lack and that the the problem we have is built in, you know, maybe being prey, it's built into our DNA, but it's also biological. Our eyes are set in our heads so that we see us in them. And then we build an entire civilization based on a zero-sum, winner-take-all mentality that leaves us in this mess. And then can and here's my question so it's not a soapbox can horses help us get beyond that psychologically if not you know can't do it biologically
1: a- absolutely i think let me see if i can go back and and tease out a couple of things to talk about the first is we have our eyes in the front of our head because we're predators and that's because we need to we have extreme focus on what we want okay and remember the horses For the horse, for the, for the human, getting what I want is what life is about, okay? That's what we're after. That's what motivates us. That's where the dopamine drive comes in. The horse is very different in that the horse is saying, life is good when I'm with my companions, I'm with my friends, and as far as the eye can see, there's no threat, there's no risk. I have everything I need and I am content. We are content. So it's a very different level of motivation. So it's, it's saying, do we have what we need? Are we content? Are we safe? It's a very different set of parameters. And so one of the things that you get from hanging out with horses is you begin to understand that we has as much contextual strength as me. It's a it's, it's a choice that was made biologically from us, for us, by, by speech. I mean, we, we excelled as killers, as predators, because we developed exquisite language capabilities. But what it did is it locked us up into what Tony Damasio calls the autobiographical self. You know, we, we're obsessed with our own thoughts, the, our own thoughts in our head. And we hear our voice constantly, that inner voice is constantly banging around. And if you think about spirituality, as I like to in the grandest sense of the word, which is this inner desire to connect to something bigger than yourself. That's it. It could be God. It can be nature. It can be the universe. It can be your family. I don't care what it is. That desire to say there's got to be more to this than just me, that comes from the right hemisphere. It's the left that's constantly saying it's about me, 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 my identity. Here are my thoughts inside my head. I may say this to you, but I think this. And so the horses offer us a completely different way of looking at it, going, forget what you tell yourself. Forget the lies that you tell everybody else. Forget the lies that you tell yourself. Just shut up and be with me. And I accept you exactly the way you are. You can try... You can try to lie to a horse as long as you want. It won't work. If you're scared of the horse, the horse says, I got it. You're scared. Let's start there. If you're comfortable with the horse, the horse goes, I got it. You are tuned into me. Let's start there. But it just accepts you as you come. And it's a wonderful honesty. It's It's liberating to suddenly say, here's a creature that accepts me exactly for who I am. I can't hide a thing from him.
0: So your your definition of spirituality makes complete sense to me. You know, constant, it, it, if we put it in sort of process terms, that you're constantly trying, and this is what Einstein said, constantly trying to expand your sense of connection. So it's not just me, it's my family, and then not just my family, it's my community, and you just keep going out. Because one of the things that happens to us is that, you know, we we stop expanding. So we get to tribe or we get to race or ethnicity and we stop there. Okay. I'm, I'm my race and all other races are the enemy now. And I'm going there. Or, I mean, that's what we see in the, the, the aggression of Russia against Ukraine. They've decided Ukrainians are somehow the other, and they're going to destroy them. People who are doing this aggressive stuff against I mean, you can make a whole list. African Americans, women, LGBTQ plus. I mean, it's just, there's no end to it. The rise in anti-Semitism, the, the hatred of Palestinians and Israel. I mean, all this stuff. So it's all about associating with, we guess use the word tribe here, but associating with a tribe and then having the other still there as the as the enemy that must be destroyed. Ultimately, spirituality takes you beyond there's no other, there's just us, right? There's, there's all
1: of us together.
0: Is that where your sense of spirituality is, is pointing?
1: My mom was a very big churchgoer and she used to always try to drag me to church. And I, I would always, and she would always swing by on Sunday at the ranch and say, are you coming to church with me? And I'd always go, I've already been to church. And by, by that I meant I've already had my spiritual experience in a round pen or in the arena with a horse. And I always, I always f- felt like the horse was there to say, the universe is speaking to you, I promise you, if you listen. And that's what I'm here to tell you. That if you listen to me and my needs and my, 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 my fears and concerns and anxieties, I, I will be able to help you listen to the universe together because I can hear the universe yeah. and you I can mean, the universe. I mean that's yeah exactly. Yeah. And so I well, so you so don't. I, I I you you could, and I, but, but you don't right and I and I think to some extent you know trying to understand creation you know as, as Einstein was sort of putting it is to try to understand the. Inclusiveness of creation, the idea that life loves life, and life should embrace life wherever it sees it, in whatever context, whatever tribe, whatever species, you know in, you know, there was a, a poem I don't recall it exactly, but it's called "The Red Rose," and it, it says, "The mountains are smarter than you are. The wind is smarter than you are. The animals are smarter than you are. are, than you are. Listen. You know, and, and that's, that's what I think horses, at least for me, that's what I think horses are just trying to tell me, listen and, and shut up and quiet that autobiographical self enough that you can hear the universe and you will, you'll be a better, a better person, a better warrior, better father, better spouse, better friend brother, whatever you want to, whatever you you take on. But it's always going to be because you've tried to hear the universe.
0: Our guest today, Dr. Alan Hamilton, is the author of Zen Mind, Zen Horse, and the forthcoming Cerebral Entanglements, How the Brain Gives Value and Meaning to Our Private Lives. His essay, The Enlightenment Lab, Eight Zen Lessons from Horses, appears in the July-August 2023 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about his work at alanhamilton.com. Alan, thanks so much for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Zach Avery. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health magazine, we thank you for your support.